It often boils down to the zip code you live in. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. Population health, to many, is one of those terms that can make your head spin and your eyes glaze over. But think of it like this. Two girls, Jenna and Joni, live in apartment buildings just 10 miles apart in New York City. Jenna lives with her mother and father in Manhattan in a building with a 24-hour doorman and video cameras adjacent to every building entrance and exit. She does her homework in a room she shares with her mother, who works from home. The streets here are safe from crime. Her private school has vast playing fields and workout rooms that would make a well-endowed college proud. Virtually all of the babies born in her neighborhood are full term and families have the kind of medical insurance that allows them to see their doctors whenever they need to. Meanwhile, Joni lives in the Bronx with her single mother who takes the subway to work every day to get to her two jobs and her four siblings in a two bedroom single bathroom apartment. Garbage lies strewn outside with rodents shamelessly picking through it. You need to walk blocks to buy fresh produce, passing a, do a dozen different fast food joints along the way. Her public school can no longer afford to offer phys ed class, and the streets have become dangerous due to the local gangs and drug addicts they attract. Black mold and roaches have invaded her building, and the cars traveling on the nearby highways to somewhere else pollute the air. Many of her friends don't have a dentist, and their families survive on government insurance. All too many suffer from chronic diseases like asthma, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and or obesity, and about 40% are likely to die before their time. With us today to discuss population health is Moray Jocelyn, Senior Director of Quality and Performance Improvement at SBH. Welcome, Moray. Hi, thank you, Steve. Nice to see you. So, so let's start out. So, so what does it what will it take to make Joni's future as rosy as Jenna's? Well, you know, it's it's really interesting to hear the the two different life stories that you you presented there. And I think one of the really important things to remember in health is that every person's different and everyone's healthcare needs are different. But what we do find is that there can be similar stories in certain populations. And so it's possible for us to have a targeted approach that can work with a particular population to try and improve their health. And so that's really what we are making great strides to do in St. Barnabas at the moment. You know, we're, we're really taking a population health approach to say, okay, we know that everyone's different, but we know that there are some problems or factors that affect the community of patients around our hospital more than others. And let's see what we can do to make a difference there. And some of the examples of that, just like you described, you know, we know that there's some health problems that are more prevalent in our area, like obesity. We know that there's a higher percentage of people who are living with obesity. Um, I'm just trying to get some of the numbers here. But so in, in our area, we know that about 36% of our population are struggling with obesity. And yet when we look at New York City as a whole, that's 24%. So we have a much higher prevalence of that condition here. And when we look at what kind of effect does obesity have on your overall health, well, it has many effects. And so it can lead to things like um, 
diabetes. We know it has an impact upon physical activity, etc. And so we start to then have compounding problems. And so what we can do with population health is we can really try and take that on board and, and think, what can we do to address the particular needs that we have in our community that will make a difference for the individual? Now, is that something that can, I mean, let's take a look back. I mean, there have been disparities in healthcare forever. And how do you change generations of poor health seemingly overnight? Is it possible? I, I don't think we're trying to change generations of health overnight. I think what we're really trying to do is make an impact that's going to make a difference to the life of the individual. And I think that slowly over time, we'll start to see that have benefits for the community as a whole. And that's really what we're what we're doing here is trying to come up with, you know, looking at the community as a whole, but then then thinking, how can, with the individual patients, what can I do to make a difference for this individual patient and their families? And it might be we have a, a patient who um, has some issues around weight or diabetes or, or healthy diet. And then when we have a conversation with that patient, we discover that, you know, the, um, some of the social determinants of health are impacting their availability to get food. So it might be that as you described earlier, there's a lack of access to healthy food in the neighborhood. Or it might be that there's there's no money to buy food or that there's only money to buy food that turns out to be high calorie, um, high sugar food that's not so healthy. And so we can then think with that family about what might be some good solutions to that. And we can start to develop our own programs here at SBH. So we have our wellness center. And within that, we have access to food through a range of different programs. We have a food pantry. We have a farm stand that's um, making available at an affordable price, some of the fresh produce that's been growing on the roof of our wellness center, etc. So there's a whole range of things that we can do, but it needs to be tailored situation for our tailored solution for individuals and their families. So tell us a little bit a little bit more about those programs that are ongoing at SBH to, to reach this population that is considered a food desert. Yeah. So you know one of the one of the terms I heard recently which I really liked was the term food swamp rather than a food desert. And and the difference was that a food desert was that there was no food and a food swamp was there was lots of food, but it maybe wasn't of the, the right kind. <laughs> and I thought, well, that, you know, there's some there's some value in that, because if you look around there, it, it's probably more affordable to buy a cheeseburger from McDonald's than it is to buy some something that's maybe less calorie uh, laden. But what we need to really look at is what's a healthy program and a healthy lifestyle for people? And how do we as a healthcare provider help people make those decisions. And really it has to start with primary care and getting people access to care. And if we can bring people in, get them to see their primary care doctor um, and to build that trusting relationship, then that point of care becomes an, an open doorway to a whole range of other services. And we're really blessed at St. Barnabas Health System to have our wellness center and the programs that are there. So if we have a patient who comes in then we can ask them some questions around, you know, how, how do they feel about their weight? What is their access to food? And then from that, we can start to 
get to the bottom of what the individual issues might be. And so what we've seen recently is we had a, a really exciting program that took place um, over the last few months that was engaging people in the health and wellness center in the fitness program and also in our teaching kitchen. And so people signed up, they came and took part in a program where um, I think it was eight sessions or maybe it was 12 sessions in the gym and 12 sessions in the teaching kitchen. And you know, we saw that that actually had a positive effect on people's weight and, and that it led to a reduction in their BMI. But we also heard from the people who uh, worked in those centers, that there was a positive impact on people's mental health, on their self-esteem, and on their desire to actually have a more active lifestyle going forward. And so that's some of the benefits that you don't really think about, you know, through through the first step of coming in, that it can actually ha- change someone's life course. And so... Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I've heard this story before when you have hungry people... You just don't give them fish, but you teach them how to fish. So I would think education is a big component of this, right? Education backed up, I would say, with the support and encouragement. And so just saying to someone, you need to not eat this and you need to eat something else, or you need to go to the gym three times a week, you know, there's many reasons why people don't or why people have struggled to do that. And really what we've seen is that coming along and working with one of our fitness coaches in the gym and starting off really simple, maybe doing stretches, maybe doing some exercises like getting down on the floor and getting back up off the floor, which for some people who go to the gym all the time might seem like a really low level activity. But for some people who are struggling with their weight and have never been to a gym before, that can actually be a big step forward. And really helping to reinforce the the success that people have had by just coming to the gym, regularly turning up and, and helping to you know build confidence and self-esteem. That's what really makes the difference, I think. The education backed up by some support. Now, I, I know we throw around the term social determinants of health, and I'm sure some of our listeners are not quite sure what that means. Why don't you explain that? Yes. So we know that there are many factors that impact people's health and that everybody's health is different and the factors that impact everybody's health are different. And so some of it's just, um, you know, the way you were born and your genetics, but other factors that impact your health can be things to do with your financial or your living and your social circumstances. So if one of the things that, for example, you need to do is to come in and see the the doctor to get your medication, but it turns out that you don't have any transport to come in, you don't have a vehicle and you don't have, say, the funds for a, a metro pass, then how do you come to that appointment? And particularly, you know, if you're disabled or you need some somebody to come with you, how, how do you do that? And so we can see that things as simple as transportation can prevent somebody having access to healthcare. And by not taking your, if, say if you were to come in and get a, a prescription written for a medication, and if you don't come in and you don't get that prescription, then over time, your the condition that you were treating with that medication is going to get worse and then you might end up in the hospital. And so a small problem builds over time to become a more serious problem. Um, so transportation is one of the, the issues. Another key issue, and particularly for our geographical area, is housing. So 
if you have high quality housing, then you're less likely to have conditions like asthma. But if you have poor quality housing where perhaps there, the roof's leaking or there's mold or damp, then we know that these conditions can exacerbate asthma. And so particularly in our pediatric population, our, you know, our children and young people, we find that there can be a, a high hospitalization rate for asthma in our area. And so what we really need to do is, um, you know, we can treat the asthma, but then you're just going to keep coming back. And so what we really need to do is have an approach that looks wider than just what goes on in the hospital or the, in the primary care service, but also to what's what's going on in the community and, and how we can help with those with those issues. So I would say just to sum it up, you know, there are there are several social determinants of health, but really for us, the main ones I would say are access to food, transportation and housing. Okay, but but to make changes, I think you have to work on a one-to-one -one basis, right? That's correct. And and the, really, the, the main way for us to start that, I think, is through a positive primary care relationship. And so getting people to engage with a primary care provider, to come in for an annual wellness visit, if that's what they require, or if, if people have chronic conditions, to engage them in care and have them coming back for their routine checkups to make sure that everything's going okay, to do any tests that are required, and to really uh, focus on prevention. Because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone wants to go to the hospital for something that could have been avoided. So go, going and getting admitted into the hospital is stressful for everyone. And really, you know, people want to look after their health. People like to get on with their lives and spend time at home with their families. And so one of the good things about primary care and, and population health is that we can invest effort upfront in prevention with people. So we engage them in care and we think, okay, so what kind of prevention screening does a person of this type require? So we might have some female population and we might think, okay, uh, maybe breast cancer screening, cervical cancer screening, let's make sure that everyone's had these screenings to keep them healthy. We have colon cancer screenings. And then we get into a whole range of tests and, and um, procedures around diabetes. So we know that diabetes is prevalent in our community. And one of the things that can happen with diabetes is that it can affect your eyesight through a condition called diabetic retinopathy, which can in, over time lead to sight loss. And so we can bring people in, we know who our diabetic population are, so we can schedule them, bring them in and give them a diabetic eye exam to keep their eyesight health, keep their eyes healthy and preserve their sight. And I think, you know, that makes a, a huge difference to someone's life to be able to preserve their eyesight. How much has the advent of COVID complicated your efforts? Yeah, so COVID has complicated our efforts greatly because it's really brought a great change in, I would say, two things. So the first thing is healthcare utilization patterns. So what that really means is the way folk access care. People are, patients are less uh, or have been less um, keen to come in to access care within a primary care building. And so we've been able to maintain care with many people through 
video visits and telephone visits, like telehealth, which has been really helpful and it's been a fantastic lifesaver for many people. But there are some things you can do and there are some things you can't through telehealth. So it's, it's not as easy to take a blood test or to take a blood pressure test, etc. So th those are some things we've seen a difference in. And then the other thing is that much of the work we do in population health relies on good data. So we know who the patients are, we know how their health is, we know what their blood pressure is, when they were last here, and we can use that data to then reach out to the people who need some particular service and bring them in and engage them in care. And so because there's been a disruption to people's, the way people use services, it means we haven't also captured as much data during that time. And so that makes things a wee bit more complicated. Um, and so now we're playing catch up to try and make sure that people who never came in last year get the, the treatments they require now to keep them healthy. Right, right. Do you have sp specific metrics that you use as goals to say, yes, we accomplished what we went after? It's not just anecdotal, right? Yes, that's right. So there's um, there's there's a whole set of metrics. They're they're called HEDIS metrics, and they're really universally used across the United States to to look at what is good care. And we work towards those across all of our clinics, all of our services, and and our hospital inpatient departments. And I think what's really good about them is my belief is that everybody that works in SBH wants to do a good job for the patients. They want people to have excellent care. You know, they want people to have the care that they would expect their loved ones and their relatives to have. And the performance metrics match up exactly with what good care is. So doctors and clinicians have sat down and they've worked out what are uh, the best standards of care? What are we all working towards? And then the metrics match up with that. And so if we deliver excellent care, we will automatically meet the metrics, which is fantastic. But we can use it inversely and we can say, okay, well, let's go after the metrics because if we do that, we know we're gonna be delivering excellent care. So it doesn't matter which one comes first, but what does matter is that we're focusing on providing excellent care for every patient every time. If we do that, will exceed. Are patients compl compliant in this? Do they trust you? Do they trust healthcare professionals? So I think there's two different things there. There's trust and there's compliance, right? Trust in my mind is something that is built slowly over time and comes through a positive relationship that builds slowly over time, but that can be decimated in an instant by something in, in, um, adverse happening. And so that's one of the things that we really need to focus on is continuing to build positive, trusting relationships with their patients and clients and their families, etc. Compliance is a different thing because when we're talking about compliance, what do we mean? So it's, it's usually, uh, an example might be, did a patient take their medications as prescribed and did they continue to take it? Now, that's a quite a complicated thing when you get into the weeds of it because um, it requires a patient to have a prescription. It requires them to go and fill that prescription. They might need to have a copay to pay for the prescription at the time they fill it. Then when they go home, they've got to take a pill every day at the same time, etc. And there might be some side effects or, you know, and so the reasons why different people 
are more adherent with their medications than others are varied. And, and so it comes back to that trusted relationship and it comes back to really sitting down and saying with someone, oh, I see you haven't been complying with your medication. Let's talk about that. Let's find out why not and then come up with a solution that helps that person. So for some people, it might be if I could have 90 days of a medication rather than 30, that would make it easier. For other people, it might be that they need a pill dispenser and they need a way to manage their medication so they know which ones they're meant to be taking. So those are completely different scenarios and they require a different solution. The only way you find that out is by asking. Do you find that community partnerships are important? That it's just that institution going alone that, that can make a difference in changing, you know, generations of, of, of less than great healthcare? Well, I think SBH Health System is in the heart of the Belmont community here. And I think that, you know, if we were to go off and do our own thing without bringing the community on board, we would have limited success. And so whatever we do, we have to really work with the community around us. And I think that the Wellness Centre is a perfect example of that. So the Wellness Centre is, is almost like a bridge between you know, the clinical medical services and the needs of the community. And it's a place where they can all meet. And the programs there can be flexible enough to meet the needs of the, the local community and, and whatever their desires and needs are at the time. So I think we're making good efforts to that. You, I think we can see that by some of the community partners who are involved in the programming, like the farm stand and the food pantry, etc. That's various other community organizations coming together to, to serve the community under one space. Right, right. Well, Maury, I want to thank you for your time here today at SBH Bronx Health Talk. This was very interesting. We really appreciate it. Uh, for more information on services at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. And thank you for joining us today. Until next time.